Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Dr. Anish Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about ways to optimize the surgical treatment of underserved populations with breast cancer with Dr. Monica Valero. Dr. Valero is an assistant professor of surgery and surgical oncology and director of the Hispanic Breast Cancer Program at Bridgeport Hospital. Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology at the Yale School of Medicine. So, Monica, maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit more about yourself and what it is you do. Yeah, so um, my practice is devoted to um, 100% of the to the diagnosis and treatment of breast cancer and the breast disease. And I spend my time not only trying to provide patients with optimal care, but also understanding and learning about it. Um, I choose um, uh, to specialize in breast cancer surgery because since I was in medical school, I felt very passionate about the speed with which breast cancer treatments um, were evolving along with improved outcomes. So I also love the patients. I love following them in their journey through diagnosis and treatment and even more during the survivorship program. And so, you know, one of the things that you are particularly interested in is underserved populations and particularly Hispanic uh, patients. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and maybe a bit more about how breast cancer is the same or different um, in these populations versus uh, other breast cancer patients? Yes, um, definitely. So um, the Hispanic population is the largest and fastest growing minority population in the United States. And it's projected to, they are projected to make up to almost 30% of the national population, but uh, 2060. So even this rapid uh, growth, the Hispanics are still underrepresented among um, and, and overrepresented among socioeconomic factors such as poverty and health disparity. So knowing that breast cancer constitutes the leading cause of cancer death among Hispanic women in the United States, and that is the second leading cause of cancer among the U.S. women. So despite of the lower incidence of breast cancer in Hispanic women, they are at a higher risk of early onset breast cancer, also showing more advanced um, stage and higher risk of breast cancer specific mortality when compared to non-Hispanic with women, white women. So we know these parties are largely, largely, largely due to delays in treatment and reduced likelihood for completion of recommended protocols. To me, we need to focus on the care delivery disparity. There is critical disconnect between cancer discovery and cancer care delivery to all patients equally. So also, I feel like disparity are present for many complex reasons. Some of them that are driven by biology, but some of them that are modifiable at the patient provider system level. So we have now begun to recognize that the overall health outcomes of a person, community, or society are determined by the overlap and intersection of the social determinant of health, which would be, which uh, must be examined at individual, communal, and societal levels to understand and address the health inequities in this particular population. So, uh, so let's break that down into a little bit more tangible um, items. So. First off, um, 
when we think about screening and basic general awareness of breast cancer, we know that um, for the majority, uh, there has been a huge boon in terms of early breast cancer diagnosis and treatment with the advent of screening mammography, better patient awareness that has allowed us to pick up cancers at earlier and earlier stages. So can you talk a little bit about the stage of presentation of Hispanic patients versus the general population and whether you think that any disparities there may or may not be driven by differences in screening or in uh, basic breast cancer awareness? And what are some of the things that we might be able to do to overcome those disparities at that level? Yeah, so I think this is a very important point. As you mentioned, um, the early detection of breast cancer, you know, is translating to a better uh, progno- treatment and prognosis. Um some of the factors that can impact the Hispanic population is the fact that some of them had like financial constraints, um, they are uninsured, or they have like inequal access to care, not allowing these patients to obtain uh, appropriate annual mammograms at the age that they are recommended to, in some cases not being able to follow up or adhere to recommendations of, uh, for example, when an abnormality is found in a screening mammogram, and they're recommended for like a short-term follow-up or additional diagnostic images. So the lack of um, um, financial support or the barriers in the healthcare system that they can face or sometimes the mistrust uh, to um, the healthcare system could impair or become an obstacle for them to... um, be diagnosed at an early stage. So this is... um, part of the uh, problem. And I think this is part of like the reason uh, why in this population, even though they have a low incidence of breast cancer, uh, we um, identify this disease at a later stage. Yeah. So, you know, certainly when we think about um, a lower incidence, but a higher stage at presentation, one of the things that could be driving that is lower detection in terms of early detection. But in terms of the financial constraints, we know that there is national legislation, right? Uh, The Breast and Cervical Cancer Early Detection Program, which allows for women who are uninsured or less than 250% of poverty to get free mammograms. Um, And so is it really an issue of, you know, not having the financial resources to get mammograms because, you know, that should be covered uh, by either the breast and cervical cancer early detection program, should be covered by Medicaid and Medicare, uh, and now with uh, the Affordable Care Act should be uh, part of all private insurers. So is it the financial constraint to get the mammogram, or is it a lack of awareness of such programs, or as you say, a lack of trust? Um, Because the mitigation of that is is very different. One is to provide incentives for for people to get mammograms, uh, but the other is simply to educate people that these programs exist 
Or the third is to try to deal with uh, some of the issues in terms of trust building with the community. So where do you think the disconnect is? Yeah, I, I think it's a combination, right? As you mentioned, um, there are a lot of like grants and um, ways uh, as women can be support to obtain mammograms when there is like financial uh, constraints. But I feel like, as you mentioned, lack of awareness um, is a main factor in terms of like women's um, not um knowing that they have like these resources to obtain mammograms there's also the fear of diagnosis i think like well uh, culturally um being hispanic myself i i can talk about the cultural background in and in the hispanic population and again this is not one size fits all but i i can tell that you know some some patients can um can can be um, scared about knowing if something's going on. Um, also, um, patients that don't have insurance or are not aware of like this financial um, support and navigation um, can sometimes avoid um, coming to the hospital to the point that I've recently seen a couple of patients that. Um, after even having cancer diagnosis, they're refusing additional options because options of treatment because they feel that they are going to get a copay or things like that. Thankfully, we have you know navigation and social workers that allow us to um, connect these patients with them. But but I'm not sure like this is available at every single level in in the nation. Yeah. So I mean, it sounds like you know one of the first uh, kind of areas of, of potential intervention is to educate um, the community and to really um, start to build that educational foundation where people understand that, number one, um, these days, uh, a breast cancer diagnosis is not what some may have previously perceived to be a, quote, death sentence, right? That, that if you find breast cancer early, um, particularly now, this is a very treatable condition, and there are many programs. So, for example, women who are diagnosed through the Breast and Cervical Cancer Early Diagnosis Program now have the option to get onto Medicaid for three months um, to pay for their treatment uh, if they were otherwise uninsured. And so, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what interventions may have been um uh, affected uh, in the Hispanic population, either programs that you've conducted or other programs that you know about in the country where, you know, trying to get the word out and trying to build that trust with the community so that um, we can uh, increase awareness of these programs, increase awareness that um, it, it you know, breast cancer is okay to be diagnosed and certainly better to be diagnosed early than late. Um, how do we, how do we change, um, the perceptions of breast cancer? Are there any programs that you're aware of that have been effective or things that you might want to try? Yes. So I feel like, you know, education is, um, the main, um, or the key factor in terms of like, um, 
allowing the population to understand their um, options and uh, the importance of, you know, detecting um, cancer at an early stage. I have participated in, you know, uh, breast cancer symposiums and sessions that have been held in the past at uh, my former institution with the goal to educate patients where we have like, um, um, uh, providers from different specialties giving a short talk about the importance of like mammograms, the importance of like adherence to treatment. And I feel like these sessions allow the uh, community to be engaged and to learn more about this. So I feel like this is an initiative that, you know, should keep happening and um, increase um, um, the level of reach, right? Trying to outreach the majority of the population. I'm also um, leading the um, Hispanic Breast Cancer Program at uh, Fairfield, Trumbull, uh, Bridgeport area. And, you know, the goal of this program is uh, to develop, um, to overcome the majority of the majority of the barriers this um, Hispanic population is facing through like basic aims as health education, prevention, and outreach. Our goal is to go out to the community. We have been connecting with like important and like well-known um, society or community, community programs in the Bridgeport area to make them aware of the program, make them aware of uh, all the resources and options that we have at our Smilo, um, Yale Smilo Center in Bridgeport. Um, we make them aware of the patient navigation. We connect them with them directly. And in some cases, we bring some of the NPs, our APP providers with us to, you know, teach about um, self-exam, teach them about the resources and um, make them aware of like all the things that we can do to help them. Yeah, so important to get out into the community uh, to really build that uh, trust of education and um, get people involved. We're going to talk more about that, but first we need to take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about the surgical care of patients with breast cancer with my guest, Dr. Monica Valero. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers comes from Smilo Cancer Hospital where their survivorship clinic is a resource for cancer survivors and provides patients and their families with information on cancer prevention, wellness, supportive services, and health research. SmiloCancerHospital.org There are over 16.9 million cancer survivors in the U.S. and over 240,000 here in Connecticut. Completing treatment for cancer is a very exciting milestone, but cancer and its treatment can be a life-changing experience. The return to normal activities and relationships may be difficult, and cancer survivors may face other long-term side effects of cancer, including heart problems, osteoporosis, fertility issues, and an increased risk of second cancers. Resources for cancer survivors are available at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as the Yale Cancer Center and its Milo Cancer Hospital, to keep cancer survivors well and focused on healthy living. The Smilo Cancer Hospital Survivorship Clinic focuses on providing guidance and direction to empower survivors to take steps to maximize their health, quality of life, and longevity. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. 
Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Monica Valero. We're talking about ways to optimize surgical treatment for underserved populations with breast cancer. And before the break, Monica, you were talking about some initiatives to really try to get out into the community, um, particularly the Hispanic uh, community with whom you're very familiar, to kind of build some education, build some trust. And, you know, as you were talking about these community-based initiatives, I was thinking that a lot of this is very similar to what we've seen um, being effective with other underserved communities. So, for example, you know, we know that... um, Having key stakeholders, so in the African-American population, for example, we've found that, you know, getting into the churches and faith-based organizations, particularly if you can identify, you know, key people uh, in the community who can really build trust for you, um, when they can say, no, I vouch for the fact that you need to get a mammogram because that's going to be really important and you don't need to be scared. That sometimes that can really build that trust from the inside of that community. Have you found the same thing to be true in the Hispanic population? Definitely. Definitely. This is um, very important um, and it's very trustworthy for them to see us and have the presence of the team um, at their like faith centers, churches, schools, um, may make sure we make ourselves um, available to them and for them seeing that they can participate not only by themselves, but like with friends, family members, and they can bring others to participate in this program. So this is definitely a, a, a wonderful initiative and something that really um, make us to connect with the population. Yeah. And so, you know, once we can get people being screened, because I think that is going to be really a key, uh, key aspect of, you know, making sure that, you know, we may increase the incidence of breast cancer, but certainly reduce the stage and therefore increase the survival. That's an important step. But something you were mentioning before the break is the next step after the screening, which is the diagnosis and treatment. So can you talk a little bit more about some of the challenges you see, particularly in underserved and and the Hispanic population in particular, in terms of taking that next step? What do you do after you get a screening mammogram that requires additional workup or a biopsy? Um, Is there a stumbling block there where you're seeing attrition of patients? Yes. So unfortunately, when patients um, know about the diagnosis of breast cancer or a suspicious finding on mammogram, and we require to uh, work up um, or do additional images, biopsies, or as, after obtaining the diagnosis, there is um, some um, fear, right? Uh, which I think is um, sustained based on bad or poor experiences with illness in the past, not only by themselves, but like family members. For example, if a family member went through a breast cancer or even a different type of cancer and had a poor outcome, um, this is something that they bring sometimes with them and it makes them sometimes resistant to accept or be open to adjuvant therapies, to surgery or to more treatment. 
more like mostly like anecdotal um, experiences can really impact um, their um, way to address their disease and also, you know, cultural or religion uh, beliefs about um, if, you know, the disease is going to disappear uh, by itself, either like alternative treatments. So those are like challenges that we have to face in these situations. So let's talk about each of those, because I think each of those is very interesting and, and likely requires a different approach. So you know, one of the hardest things I think is to really overcome this anecdotal uh, fear, right? Uh, my cousin Molly uh, had breast cancer and it spread all over her body and died. Therefore, I do not want to do anything for my newly diagnosed, very tiny little breast cancer that was detected on mammogram. How, which is clearly a totally different situation than what could have happened with your cousin Molly, right? Um, so how do you kind of get over uh, that fear um, and educate patients about the differences in what their situation might be versus what they may have heard about from others? Yeah, so the first thing I tell patients when I um, <clears throat> I, I see this, this challenge is like, my role is um, to be a helper, right? To be there to explain her all the treatment options, to tell them, you know, which are the best treatment option, which is like the less, um, you know, preferred treatment option to tell them what will be um, having a good prognosis versus a poor prognosis. I always tell them that I'm not going to be forcing and no one is going to be forcing them to do anything and is their body at the end of the day, right? If they're competent, they're going to decide what to do. So I feel like breaking that ice make them feel um, more confident about that we're just going to have a discussion. And after that, I, I emphasize the difference between cancers in the body and cancer treatment. You know, I, I emphasize that, you know, the, the fact that a cancer can be detected at a very early stage, right, makes a significant difference in time of treatment and prognosis, basically everywhere. But then I go specifically into breast cancer and I kind of like break down the breast cancer treatment and how this is in, in multidisciplinary treatment that by itself, like if we complete all the steps that we recommend, you know, the prognosis are usually good. So this is how I, I approach this, this situation particularly. Yeah. And I think it's so important, right, uh, to kind of make sure that people understand that breast cancer is not a homogeneous disease, um, that what might have happened to your cousin Molly may be very different than what um, one would expect in your particular situation. So I, I think the next issue is really dealing with a lot of misinformation and disinformation that people may have heard. And we've seen this with the COVID pandemic, and certainly we see this with cancer as well. So, you know, people may come to you and say, I don't want to have this removed, or I don't want to have a needle biopsy, because if you disrupt the cancer, uh, it will spread all over my body. So can we go through some of these myths and maybe um, maybe clarify these uh, for our audience? What, what do you say to patients when they come to you with that kind of uh, information? Yeah, so, so I, I first tell them that unfortunately, at this point, moment or this current 
era, we don't have any way to make the cancer disappear by itself. Um, we hope we'll get there, right? But it's like at this point, I, I make it very clear that if the cancer needs to come out, it needs to come out. And, and if sometimes they need to be reassured by, you know, an additional mammogram because they feel like waiting and praying will make the cancer disappear, I, I sometimes, you know, make that... Um, arrangement and I say okay uh, we, we we can wait a couple of weeks um, and repeat the diagnostic mammogram if you feel like you know these two weeks will will make any difference in in the treatment kind of like to validate their concerns and their belief but at some point there is so much that we can do um, there are cases where like that works and proving them that the cancer remains there is a way for them to understand that the alternative treatment or therapies or interventions they're trying, unfortunately at, at not working but in some few cases it's sad that you know um there is no much that we can do to change their mind yeah you know i often find that oftentimes these patients are really well educated and they have done their research right they've gone on the internet they've tried to find this information unfortunately oftentimes the internet does not have uh, scientifically validated information that may be out there. So what I often will do is I will give them the scientific data that demonstrates that, no, actually, if you put a needle into a cancer, even if you have a, a needle track, um, oftentimes those cancer cells will die because there isn't, you know, the milieu uh, for that cancer to to survive and to thrive. And we also have data that if you leave a cancer uh, in the breast uh, and uh, not take it out, that that's actually what will cause it to spread and, and show them the natural history. And so oftentimes, you know, having that that very intellectual conversation with patients who really are trying to understand their disease uh, can be helpful. But I think that the other point that you bring up, which is this faith-based notion, right? Um, I believe that if I pray, my God will make this cancer disappear is another, is another uh, common uh, thought, uh, particularly among those who are, are staunchly religious and, and, and it's admirable. Um, and so it's, it's difficult to, to kind of wrap yourself around that. Um, ha one of the things that I often will say to patients or, or that patients will often say to me uh, is that my God brought me to you and you are an instrument uh, that will help to get rid of this cancer for me. But have you found that the use of chaplains as part of your multidisciplinary team can often help patients who are trying to figure out how that intersection of religion and science and medicine comes together? Uh, is that something that has been useful in your practice? Um I haven't particularly um, used a chaplain in, in these cases. Um, what I usually do is like, you know, I always tell them that I'm a person of faith and I, um, you know, feel like, you know, I validate every, every, every faith or every religion and I will try to help them navigate through their religion to try to find the best, um, way to um, treat the cancer, which usually works. Um, but again, it's not like 100% as we would like yeah. to see. 
but yes, it's, it's definitely something that helps. I mean, it's it's such a personal kind of journey for each patient. And this goes back to something we talked about earlier, which was really getting into the communities. And I find that, um, you know, so often I'll find that patients will find somebody in their church or in their mosque or in their synagogue who has had an experience and who will tell them, you know, yes, you can get treatment and this is God helping you and we will all pray for your quick recovery. And having that as a an extra layer of support from the religious community is often um, very helpful as well. So finally, you know, it brings us to after patients can kind of get around getting uh, their their mind wrapped around, okay, I'm going to do treatment, um, some of the barriers that they face in terms of the treatment itself and survivorship issues um, in our last minute or so, can you touch upon some of those issues that you've seen in the Hispanic population and how you kind of get around those? Um, well, after after we complete surgery, I think like the challenge is adherence to treatment, right? Completing uh, the adjuvant radiation if they're recommended to, and adhering to endo- uh, hormonal therapy if they're recommended are uh, to. So, um, trying to keep a very close follow up with navigation, <clears throat> it's it's key. Dr. Monica Valero is an assistant professor of surgery and surgical oncology and director of the Hispanic Breast Cancer Program at Bridgeport Hospital. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital.